Hey guys, welcome to the Bill Barnwell Show. I am Bill Barnwell, and today, so excited to have this man on the podcast. A man who I love talking to about the NFL. A man who is so talented, so many hats, a television host, a excellent podcaster, an excellent writer, a real football mind, a fantasy football guru, just a man of so many talents. It's my friend from ESPN, Field Yates. Fields, how are you? Bill, I am doing great. I love being back on the show. And when you were introducing me, which was very kind of you, I was thinking back to the most joyful moments of the NFL Combine this year, which was when you and I were all of a sudden on the same block in downtown Indianapolis, <laughs> like two trains or ships. I think it's ships, they say. Two ships passing in the night. Passing in the night. And it was someone that I looked forward to seeing. I had not planned to see you on some random block. I think we were right around the corner from Shake Shack, which is generally where I tend to hang out during the Combine. <laughs> so there we were, the two of us embracing. And uh, I was looking forward to having a more thoughtful conversation after that in Indianapolis. I don't think we cross paths too many more times during that trip because it's always a whirlwind few days. Yes. But here we are a couple of months later talking football. People don't know this. You're in a gang in Indianapolis and the Shake Shack is is your territory. It's correct. Uh, it's the name of the of it. we actually if you spell Colts backwards, that's, that's how you pronounce <laughs> I can't pronounce it, but that's the name. <laughs> no, it's always it's always a joy to see you field. I mean, you obviously, you know, you do such great work for us in ESPN. You get to talk, of course, fantasy stuff on Fantasy Focus. You, you, you are someone who I feel like we are simpatico on the NFL. We come from different perspectives. We come from different places, but we try to approach the game similarly. So I, I'm always excited to talk to you about football stuff. And I really wanted to talk to you this week because there have been some rule changes. Yeah. In the NFL. There's been the annual sort of look at what the NFL might change. And I think you're such a smart person when it comes to thinking about the NFL that I wanted to get your perspective on some of these changes. So we'll talk about them first. We're going to get to some free agents who are still out there. We're going to get to Austin Eckler and his situation, both for fantasy purposes and for real life purposes, a conversation about him as well. But first, let's talk about these, um, these rule changes. And let's talk first about maybe the one that's got the most attention so far in the NFL offseason, which is the flexing of <laughs> Thursday night football games. So if you'll lay out what's changed here from the NFL's perspective, and then I want to hear how you feel about this move, um, not just from a, you know, from a, from a player perspective, from a, a fan perspective as well. So the previous rule for surrounding Thursday night football was that the schedule was set usually in about mid-May, as it was mm -hmm. this year, and the Thursday night football games we're locked in. There were no changing them, I suppose, absent the COVID year in 2020 when everything was subject to change because of the wonky NFL season yes. that we all thankfully made it through. Now, effective this year, the flex window is open for Thursday night football. That window lasts from week 13 to 17, obviously, when there are games of more consequence down the stretch, when you know who was actually in the playoff mix versus who is instead perhaps chasing Caleb Williams or Drake May. Mm -hmm. And a Thursday night flex is subject to a 28-day notice. So this won't be like what you see late in the season when games that are scheduled to be played Sunday at 425 instead get moved to Sunday at 820 because mm -hmm. it's a more premier game than what was originally slotted for Sunday night football. So again, it's a five-week window and you need a 28-day notice 
And so I think the messaging from the NFL has been pretty straightforward since the rule was passed by a 24 to 8 vote in favor of it by the NFL owners, which is that they anticipate this being very infrequent in terms of how often it occurs for a couple of reasons. One is that with that 28-day window, we have seen teams get hot at the right time or go cold at the wrong time, and all of a sudden their season looks a lot different. So 28 days out, you need to really know that the teams that you are removing are bad, bad, and the teams that you are replacing them with are good, really good. But let's talk about this from a player perspective first and briefly, Bill, because I think we've actually had this conversation enough times over that it's fairly well established about what players think of Thursday night football games. Mm -hmm. And I don't think the flex impacts them that much in the sense that there's a full month notice basically for these players. The part that matters is not the shorter week. It's the fact that they now have to play a Thursday night football game. Like they don't have to worry about booking hotels and getting a flight and all the things that fans, which we'll dive into a moment, have to worry about. But players on principle are often against Thursday night football. Mostly. There are some that will tell you that uh, there's not much better than that mini buy that comes after Thursday night football. And it's especially great when you win the game on Thursday night and you have three days to catch your breath, let your body heal, mm -hmm. and also celebrate a little bit. So mm -hmm. I think the player part of it's fairly well covered. A fan part is what I was thinking about yesterday, Bill. And you and I are fortunate. Like, this is not going to impact us. I don't think either one of sure. us goes to many games, right? Sure. Um, I also know that if you gave me the option in week 15 – to watch, as an example, Bills versus Jets this year, as sure. opposed to potentially I, there is a Rams-Saints game this year <laughs> in Thursday night football during this flex window, I think I would probably be motivated to want to watch the Jets and Bills. This makes a ton of sense from all the big business standpoints. Sure. It makes sense for fans. It makes sense for Amazon, the carrier of Thursday night football now, which is still trying to grow that audience. No surprise that Black Friday football began once Amazon, which of course an on online retailer uh, to most people, um, took over the game. Um, I was sort of having this flashback moment though. Uh, I think it was last NBA regular season. Mm -hmm. uh, Richard Jefferson, who does a great job on all NBA coverage at ESPN, he spoke eloquently about how when he went to a game for the first time growing up, and this is a bit of an obscure analogy, but bear with me. Mm -hmm. I think it was, I, I believe he's uh, from Texas, and I actually want to say it was a Spurs game. Mm -hmm. And he was talking about how his parents made a significant sacrifice. He doesn't come from great means to buy him a ticket to go to the game. And all of a sudden, a, a highly anticipated matchup was diluted because a star player was unavailable. And, and it was in a very typical NBA fashion. You found out two hours before the game that said star was not available. <laughs> and so I was thinking about that fan experience and how integral I think that is to the sport of football itself. And the idea that there's probably somebody, and I actually don't know offhand whether the game is in Los Angeles or New Orleans, but there's probably somebody who, or, or some buddies more likely, that when the schedule dropped May, I think it was 13th or 14th, mm -hmm. whatever it was, went out of their way, uh, May 11th, excuse me, uh, to book a flight to the home city of that game, Thursday night football, uh, or a Sunday game in that same week in a different city. And somebody who doesn't have a lot to uh, to, to spare 
and made plans. And they are going to have their plans disrupted because the NFL is going to deem the game that they made their plans for either not good enough for Thursday night football or too good to be on Sunday football. So instead, it's now being played on Thursday. So Mm -hmm. I understand this. It's a small cross-section of individuals that are going to be impacted by this bill. Uh, Jerry Jones mentioned on Tuesday that something like 7% of NFL fans have actually attended a game, that it's a very, very small number relative to the fan base they are catering to. There are so many reasons that I understand it. I'm also not going to ignore the fact that it is a bummer for those fans that are going to have uh, potentially the only vacation they get during the year disrupted because their team is either too good to be playing on Sunday or not good enough to be playing on Thursday. Right. And I think those fans might even be discouraged from making that trip in the first place. So not only even disrupted, but just prevented altogether because no one wants to be stuck with having to rebook a flight or rebook a hotel you know, three days earlier, um, even with 28 days notice for what will likely be a lot more money. I I always think about Northeastern, um, where I I went to school, and people might not know this. There's a Browns bar in Boston, or there was a Browns bar. It might not not be there anymore, like on the Northeastern campus. And you would figure, Mm. how many Browns fans can there really be in Boston? The Browns, not exactly, not going to, you know, obviously Browns fans, super dedicated, hardcore fans. But you got to figure there's not a ton of them traveling around the country. It's not like they're the Cowboys or the 49ers, but there's enough Browns fans in Boston that they have a Browns bar each and every week. I used to go uh, in New York when when our friend Mina Kimes was living in New York with uh, I was as well. We would go to a Seahawks bar. In, yeah. in 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 New York, and it was packed. It was two a two level bar every week. You know, there are so many fans who don't live in the place where their favorite team plays. They grew up somewhere else. Either they became a fan, just happened to live somewhere else. You know, there's so many different situations where you have fans who are displaced, and and it it is a real bummer. And 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 I think the other part of it is, and this is sort of the weird the weird football fan in me. Like, yes, I, I want to see competitive games. Yes, I want to see the best teams. I want to see the most important games. And, and that's not that's not going to change things. Um, but it is kind of nice to see different teams down hmm. the stretch. And I think about the, the, the Thursday night game I remember from last December is a game that would never appear in... Uh, never appear under the flex rule. And that's the Rams Raiders game where Baker Mayfield, you know, came off the flight with a day's notice, didn't, you know, barely knew the playbook and and led the Rams to a last second victory, a wildly entertaining game, a fun game, a game that I think is really going to stick with me for years to come. And a game that would never in a million years make it to Thursday night football under the current circumstances. It would have been flexed out 28 days earlier with no question. So, you know, I, I, I understand the league's motivation. I understand Amazon's motivation. Like you said, I, I just, you know, like, like, are, is anyone not going to be able to see the Chiefs or the Cowboys or the 49ers, all these great franchises? Like, you're going to get to see them on Sunday Night Football. You're going to get to see them in, in, in the national slots Sunday afternoon. But like, you know, I understand wanting competitive games in those Thursday night slots. I, I just don't know that we're we're really going to be missing out on, the, on all that much if we just kept it the way it is and made it easier for fans to attend games and made it easier for players to know their schedule uh you know a season in advance yeah the last thing i'll say here bill is maybe this is the fantasy football analyst side of me but sure. i've grown so used to people feeling like sort of the splendor of thursday night football or any standalone game for that matter is the idea that football's popularity is rooted in a lot of things one of them is that 
every game matters and every game can become interesting. I remember some of the fledgling years. Well, I guess they're back now for the Arizona Cardinals where Larry Fitzgerald was still producing at a high level. And I would be like, you know what? I don't necessarily care whether the three and seven Cardinals defeat the five and five, you know, Rams or whatever, but it was mm-hmm. sure nice to see Larry Fitzgerald post another seven catches for 105 yards 100%. and a touchdown. And uh, I think Thursday night football has catered to that in some ways, but um, I understand that the stuff, the stuff that you and I are mindful about is probably uh, we are very much in the vocal minority mm-hmm. in this situation. And to your point about how like you and I would like watching teams, we don't get to see that often. I'm reminded of this when we are preparing for various TV shows that we're on, mm-hmm. where the reality is that if you're on Sports Center with Scott Van Pelt, he's a lot more likely to ask you about Dak Prescott's struggles than he is like, hey, what are your thoughts uh, about the ascension of, um, you know, uh, 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 Josh Downs for the Colts this year? <laughs> he had four catches this past week and looked the part at OTAs, right? Like, sure. Yeah, that's that's just kind of how I think the world works now, where it definitely is um, a league that has 32 passionate fan bases. But there are, you know, it depends on how the teams are doing each year. But typically there's like, you know, a dozen or so teams that move the needle in a much more dramatic way than the rest of the league. For sure. And then that's that's not unrealistic. And like like you said, you know, if you watch not just our television coverage, any television coverage like everywhere. Like, like that's going to be the reality of the situation. But of course, you know, I, I ask, like you said, for fantasy owners, for people who are interested in gambling, you can win just as much money betting on the Jaguars as you can betting on the Cowboys. In, you know, it's in funny though. Game. We we can't use the Jaguars as the butt of our joke anymore, Bill. Because no, I, they're great. Was, for for years, that was my team that I defaulted to when I was referencing like either a team that was stuck in the mud or a team that was not popular. Now I'm a, like. I, I don't know who my placeholder team is. I think it's the Cardinals, but that's yeah. the team that I'm defaulting to because uh, that I'm I'm trying to uh, train my brain to default to because for years it was just like, yeah, remember when the Jaguars played the Titans on Thursday night football? Yeah. Now, now, now they may not. Now it's like, hey, remember when the Jaguars played the Chiefs on Monday night football instead? Yes. Like Trevor Lawrence, in fact, is very real. Yes. And actually, it's even a good point, Field. You brought up that Jaguars-Titans game. Um, that was sort of the butt of people's jokes most years. But even that was a game where, if I'm not mistaken, I believe that was a Thursday night game. Derrick Henry had that 99-yard touchdown, and that kind of kick-started Derrick Henry's career. He had been, uh, according to Chris Mortensen, our colleague at ESPN, he'd been the subject of trade rumors yeah. at the deadline that year. And he broke huh. off that 99-yard touchdown, and then that kind of kick-started the Derrick Henry is that guy in real life and, of course, in fantasy football stretch for the next several seasons. So. You know, a- a- any game can deliver something that might might feel like a you know cool moment in the, in in the you know on that day, and then end up being something more significant in the uh, in the months and years to come. So, absolutely, um, the Jaguars are not that punching bag anymore. Totally agree there. Sure. Um, let's hit some of these other rule changes here uh, that the NFL has put out. So, the emergency third quarterback proposal. Um, this was a rule that was in place as recently i believe is 2010 and really of course seems to be linked to the uh the situation with the 49ers and the nfc championship game it's either the brock purdy rule or the josh johnson rule you decide which which player you want to assign it to uh it was funny though bill is that there were a handful of people inside the league yesterday that reached out and they were like everybody who is sitting here championing the fact that this rule is now instituted 
what happened 12 years ago or 13 <laughs> years ago when it was removed? Like, where was the uproar then, right? It's like amazing how we forget this was a thing that was real. Um, you and I probably recall this, but like, do you remember Tom Tupa playing oh, quarterback and throwing a couple of seeds in a game because of the emergency third quarterback rule and the way in which it worked? Mm-hmm. Um I will be entirely honest with you, Bill. I had forgotten why it had gone away before this discourse kind of bubbled up again yesterday. So while I think it probably should have just stayed there in the first place, I think it is a benefit that we have this third quarterback rule. And just for anybody that maybe missed the nitty gritty associated with it, a team is allowed to designate an emergency third quarterback. That player must be on the active roster, though, Bill, which I thought was one of the more interesting parts here because – how many teams are carrying three quarterbacks on their 53-man roster these days? It's right. a very, very small number relative to the uh, to the teams that are carrying just two. So I think it sounds good in a lot of ways. I don't think we are entirely out of the woods, though, as it pertains to having a situation where we get a Kendall Hinton or a whatever you want to call it, Josh Johnson or Brock Purdy game like last year. Because uh, if it is, I'll tell you who benefits. It's depth level quarterbacks, right? It's guys who are on the fringes of staying on a roster that might might be on the roster only because of you know the one in, I don't know, a thousand scenario where both quarterbacks ahead of them get hurt during a game. Mm-hmm. Well, to your point. Uh, this was September 12th, 1999, mm. week one of the NFL season. Vinny Testaverde, I believe, tears his Achilles in he week did. one yeah. on the Bill Parcells Jets. Rick Meyer comes in, goes four of 11 for 28 yards with two picks. I'm sure Bill Parcells was just thrilled with Rick Meyer's uh-huh. performance that day. Tom Tupa comes in, the punter, former occasional quarterback for the Cardinals, I believe, coincidentally. Yeah. Yep. Comes in six of ten for one sixty-five and two touchdowns. Our colleague Keyshawn Johnson goes for eight, one ninety-four and a touchdown. I'm gonna assume most of that was from punter Tom Tupa. You know what? A lot of it was, and I, I will never forget, I believe it was a seam to Keyshawn, but it was like it was truly it was one of those where I'm pretty sure Tom just like took the snap, <laughs> took his three or five step drop, and just said, like, yeah, I'm throwing it there. You know, like when Joe Burrow was like, yeah, I think he said, like, you know. Number one's going to be down there. Just like throw it to Jamar. He, you know he's going to be yep. there. Tom Tupa, I think it's credit for that. I got to find the highlights of that. We need to talk about that performance more, Bill, because like <laughs> we've given the flowers respectfully and rightfully to Johnny Hecker for establishing himself as the best throwing punter of 100%. the modern era. He is not just uh, the former Ram, but current Panther punter. Yep. But like most of his throws are when the defense is entirely caught off guard. I, I, now I sound like I'm shading Johnny Hecker. The truth is that Johnny Hecker, um, Tom Tupa walked so that Johnny Hecker could walk. <laughs> right? That's the reality here. Yes. This is no disrespect to either. Just It's incredible to think that. And can you imagine if you're Tom Tupa, you haven't played quarterback in like a decade. You know, the, the, the situation's a mess. They almost came back and won that game. They took a lead in the fourth quarter. And then Adam Vinatieri, of course, kicked a, a short field goal to win the game in the final minute. But, but imagine if Bill Parcells is your coach. You have to go in at quarterback. You're in New York. The fans are pissed because Vinny Testaverde's out for the year. Just imagine what a, a stressful situation that must be. And Tom Tupa balled out. So good for Tom Tupa, man. Um, the Every other podcast that includes a Tom Tupa mention, I'm already in on, <laughs> just for the record. That's fair. That's very fair. Um, the other rule, a special teams rule, coincidentally, and I think one I, I want to hear, you know, kind of your your big picture perspective on where the kickoff is going, because now 
league has changed the rules again on kickoffs to try and keep players healthy. Um, and this is sort of take away the pop-up kick, I believe, where now if there's any fair catch in any kickoff, regardless of where the fair catch takes place, the ball is moved to the 25-yard line. So Fields, first off, is that correct? Am I, am I understanding the rule? You are understanding you are understanding and relaying the rule correctly. Yes. Great. Okay, um, and this one has definitely generated, I would say, perhaps the most like, is it possible this has generated the most uh, conversation besides the Thursday night football flexing rule? I think um, so. And I think in large part because you have people like our new colleague or soon to be colleague, Pat McAfee, uh, expressing mm-hmm. their displeasure uh, for this rule, Bill. And it's interesting. The NFL has cited uh, player safety as the reason why this uh, this rule was was instituted. It is instituted on a one-year trial basis, so this is definitely wait and see. Uh, reminds me of when they put pass interference as a, as a challengeable play in for one year, and it was swiftly uh, overturned a year later. Uh, we'll see here, Bill. Uh, what, what I thought was fascinating here is that while these uh, rules are voted on at the ownership level, and those are the votes that matter – there was, as I understand it, and there has been plenty of reporting that has said special teams coaches and head coaches are entirely out on this rule, mm-hmm. and or many of them, I should say. And you kind of get it. Now, it certainly de-emphasizes coverage players on the kickoff team, uh, blocking on the kickoff return team, and then punters who are adept at these sort of I'm sorry, kickers that are adept at these directional kicks, which mm-hmm. we don't see all the time, right? I would say the overwhelming majority of kickoffs result in a touchback, but mm-hmm. maybe not overwhelming majority, but the you know most likely outcome is a kick is a touchback. But yep. there have been some kickers that have that have done this and done it in an extremely high level. If I'm not mistaken, what was the high leverage game the Patriots used this in? I feel like this was – oftentimes, Bill, I feel like a lot of rules <laughs> send back to something that Bill Belichick did, right? Yes. Like, a way that he was able to sort of like you know find a small crevice that he could you know work. Absolutely. He, he just found a way. I want to say it was a playoff game where it was like a big deal where the Patriots were – was it the Super Bowl against the Falcons where it they were doing have, this? It might have been. I think it was like trying to neutralize Corderell Patterson or something who – no, he was with the Patriots at that point. I apologize. I, I'm screwing this up. But the point is that uh, this has been a tactical advantage to teams in the past. Now it's gone, Bill. And I'm willing to – like on principle, I'm willing to accept any rule that is done for the betterment of players' safety. Yes. Um, I'm still a bit hesitant to believe that this rule is going to result in quantifiable change. Mm-hmm. And, and it, it sort of feels like – Hmm. It, it it sort of feels like there, there's a situation now where, of course, player safety matters, and we want things that are are going to improve player safety. But does this do enough? And 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 are we going to be sitting here next year saying should we do something more significant? And if that's the case, why not make that more significant change now? It sort of feels like we are, at least from my perspective, you know, sort of shuffling around before we make some a more significant change to the kickoff yep no i think so and i i guess the question that a lot of people are still wondering bill is is this the first maybe not the first but the next step in the eventual abandonment of the kickoff mm-hmm. in the nfl and i don't want to sound dramatic when i say that and perhaps we're still far cry from losing the kickoff entirely um, but this is another step towards it. And it, even if um, this may not solve some of the issues with the kickoff, I do believe it is 
universally understood or at least believed around the league that that is still the most dangerous play in the sport right now. Yeah. It's high impact. It's where you have guys running down full speed uh, and those those not just the return men that are vulnerable, but also the players that are responsible for blocking uh, those players that are charging down at you know 15 or 18 miles per hour. It's why we've seen things like, you know, wedges have become uh, have become largely uh, illegal in the NFL. They, they yeah. used to be that basically you have guys run down to become human battering rams to take on a three-man wedge. Mm-hmm. You don't see that anymore because we realize just how dangerous that was. So I think the kickoff is a play to watch over the next handful of years. Not entirely sure, though, that this step is a step forward on it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, you know, I, I think we've thought about alternatives, and, and I think most people you talk to in the NFL, I think, pretty much everyone wants some semblance of a kickoff or something that looks like a kickoff to start drives in the game. I don't, there's very few people arguing we should just get rid of kickoffs altogether. Yep. But one one situation, one thing we've seen play out that has been safer and and worked reasonably well and had you know more semblance of a traditional kickoff is the XFL strategy where you have yeah. you have both teams downfield 5 yards apart, the kicking team and the receiving team except for the kicker. And, and, and the guy who's going to catch the football, and nobody can move until the ball is caught. So you don't have that 30-yard buildup to a hit. You don't have the ability to, you know, form significant wedges. And, of course, you get penalized for that now, but there are still teams who do it, still times where players get away with it. Um, you know, you don't have the ability to do that. It, it's, it's, it's a sort of hybrid between a kickoff and a more traditional play. And, and I guess I wonder... You know, is that sort of solution inevitable, you think, if the NFL wants to stick with a kickoff starting possessions probably because i think that where we're at right now with this one-year rule the fact that there was so much opposition at the coach level what's going to happen is that unless this takes off in a way that blindsides the coaches uh that were vehemently against it but i think what's going to happen is basically it's going to be a year of i told you so from nfl owners to uh, from nfl coaches to their owners right and so this feels like very much a one-year rule to me and we'll be back at the drawing board next offseason. Yeah. And I think it's also very tough because if you're building a roster, you know, if you're a GM and you go out and sign someone who's great on special teams, you built your roster thinking, okay, that's going to be part of, of the league this year. You know, you built your roster, you built the back end of your roster, which is incredibly important. And, you know, maybe you go out and sign a special a player who's good on special teams as opposed um, to, you know, an extra receiver or something. I mean, Bill. Think about Bill Belichick. We come back. We we started with him in this rule, right? Yeah. Like, what team has emphasized special teams investments more than the Patriots? No this question. year, no exception. They used a fourth round pick on a kicker, a sixth round pick on a punter. I still would argue that a kicker that is unique in terms in his ability to to to, to smash field goals is much more valuable than a kickoff specialist. But still, right? I mean, that's part of the equation as well. It was an area in which we all know that in the Patriots' final game of last season. They allowed two kickoff returns for a touchdown, and if you're bashing the ball out of the end zone, that is automatically eliminated because the guy can't return the kick. Mm-hmm. And and the Patriots, that's going the Patriots one was decided on yeah. a punt return for yes, a touchdown. Yes, sure was. Yep. Of course, a, a huge, huge situation for the Patriots. So absolutely. I, I mean, I think, you know, these year-to-year changes are going to be tough. It's going to frustrate uh, coaches going to frustrate free general managers. It's going to frustrate players. You know, there are players whose careers depend on, you know, uh, teams caring about this stuff. And so, uh, obviously, it's such a, a difficult situation. And again, player safety is the most important thing, but it just feels like a, a more dramatic change is coming in, in the years to come. Yep, agree. 
Let, let's talk about Austin Eckler because that was <laughs> the other thing that popped up in the news today. And, and it feels like I wish we could go back 25 years ago and and talk to people who were covering the NFL or people who were looking at the NFL about this situation. Austin Eckler is a fantastic football player. Of that, there is no question. He is a modern football player. He contributes in both the running and the passing game. He is, I think, please correct me if I'm wrong, Field, someone who's very conscious of his fantasy football value, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, my. He is the face of player awareness when it comes to fantasy football. There's no two ways about that. Yes, he's led the league in touchdowns the past couple seasons, 20 in 2021, 18 in 2022. By all accounts, a, a great guy in the locker room. He's 28, just turned 28 years old. And he wanted more money, which I think you could say he deserves, given that he was so productive the past couple of years while making about $6 million per year. The Chargers said, well, we don't want to do that. We'll give you the opportunity to discuss a trade with other teams. He shopped or his agent shopped him around the league. There was not a taker. So Austin Eckler has come back. He's going to get a little under $2 million in incentives added to his deal. And it looks like he's going to be leaving the Chargers after this year and exploring free agency. This is a guy who has been maybe the most productive running back in football over the past couple of years field. And it feels like this is a really stark representation of how the league feels about running backs right now that there wasn't a lot of interest in Austin Eckler, a great player, a great person on the market for trade, given that they you know, a team could be adding one of the most significant difference makers with the ball in his hands in all of football over the past couple of seasons. I was surprised that there was not any interest, at least none reported, right? I guess there were, I'm sure there were conversations, but I'm sure the, the roadblock was one of two things or perhaps both. It was the compensation you are paying to the chargers who I don't think were motivated to give them away, right? Sometimes we see these veteran players traded for like a six round pick and you're like, Mm -hmm. that's all they could get. I don't think Los Angeles, they, they would rather play hardball and sort of dare Austin Eckler to sit out then surrender him for just a six-round pick as an example. But then there's the compensation that you are paying to Austin Eckler, which if he gets traded to a new team, Bill, they're not just giving him an extra $1.75 million in incentives. Absolutely. right. They're going to give him a likely brand new contract that's near the top of the market for the running back position, whether that's $12, $14, $15 million. But as we've seen... Getting those deals negotiated has been difficult around the league. I mean, Josh mm-hmm. Jacobs and Saquon Barkley right now, both on the franchise tag, and perhaps a resolution is in sight over the next month and a half before the deadline. But running back contracts are not quite on the level of quarterback contracts because obviously quarterback contracts will forever be the most difficult to figure out. But running mm-hmm. back contracts have become a problem. And I think that for Austin Eckler, there are two ways to think about it. There's one within the context of other running backs, which we just kind of laid out, which is that like not a lot of running backs get paid and seemingly the league has devalued them. Um, the other side of it is just like over the past, so between last year and this year, Bill, mm-hmm. Mike Williams will make $40 million in cash from the Chargers. Yep. Austin Eckler, if he maxes out on incentives, I think is going to be like around $15 million. Mm-hmm. I, I, first of all, if, you, if, if the question was who's been more valuable to the team between last year and what I expect this year, the answer is Austin Eckler, right? But it's also, if it's, if it's is he worth, even if you think the answer is Mike Williams, you don't think he's what almost three times as valuable as Austin Eckler. So it's a tricky one for, I think, 
players to probably wrap their heads around at that position because while the position has been devalued, I wonder if we've gone a bit too far on some of these players. And I would say that the some of the players that I'm referring to, Bill, are the ones that are unique assets in the passing game because mm. the McCaffrey's and the Austin Eckler's of the world just change the dynamic of your offense so dramatically. And that skill set, that specific skill set, is much more difficult to find, right? You can find your Isaiah Pacheco in the seventh round that can handle 15 or 18 carries a game. If the Chargers don't have Austin Eckler this season, there's nobody in-house, and I don't think there's anybody who's just sitting around waiting for a call that gives them even like 70% of Austin Eckler for a small, small portion of his contract. Right, and I think about these teams who have quarterbacks on rookie deals, who are trying to break players into the NFL, who are trying to give them sort of easy solutions. Maybe you have some RPOs, maybe you have some, you know, some quick game. You want to get the ball out of their hands quickly, want to give them confidence, want to give them a safety valve, want to give them guys who can make plays after the catch. And man, I mean, Austin Eckler just seems like the most obvious solution there where, you know, if, if you're struggling, if you're stressed, yeah, just just throw it out to Austin on a, on a swing route. You know, he he's going to make a couple guys miss. He's going to get you five or six yards. He's going to keep you on schedule. He's going to keep you out of, you know, third and forever when when teams are terrified to put their young quarterbacks back there and have them make plays until they feel more confident. And, you know, it, it just feels like that's sort of an obvious solution where if you're a team like, I think I was looking at Carolina, for example, before they went out and made the moves they made to go out and sign Adam Thielen and DJ Chark and draft Jonathan Mingo, where I just looked at their roster and thought, okay, well, they're, they're going to draft a quarterback at one now that they've moved up. Doesn't it make sense to have a guy who can take some of the pressure off of your quarterback who can, you know, be sort of a, an easy button to steal Nate Tice's line about, uh, you know, what do you want for your young quarterback, but just a guy to take some of that pressure off to alleviate, you know, that ability to have to to, to not know where you're going with the football. Like I, I I didn't necessarily love the Jaguars drafting Travis Etienne in the first round for Trevor Lawrence, but you can also see at least on, on paper why they did it. Think, okay, like here's a guy who Trevor trusts. Here's a guy who he's thrown the ball out to in years past, who can be a guy who's going to catch the ball and make plays with the ball in his hand. It, it just feels like that, that's, you know, that's basically at least in some ways, a wide receiver, you know, it's a running back, of course, as well. But it feels like, you know, when you have Austin Eckler, who caught 107 passes this year and caught 84% of the passes thrown in his direction, even if he's not putting up wide receiver efficiency numbers, that's still a really valuable piece for your offense. I'm, you know, I'm just going to look this up too, by the way, uh, off on the fly here, just to, to put a pin in this. But sure. um, I believe if I saw this correctly, that in order for Odell Beckham Jr. to make $3 million in incentives, $3 million, Bill, okay? 60-plus catches or lead the team in receptions for a million bucks, mm -hmm. 1,000 yards or lead the team in receiving yards for a million bucks, $1 million for nine touchdown catches, mm -hmm. $3 million for him. I believe it's been reported that like Austin Eckler's did make 1.75 million bills, not, not even 3 million. What's mm -hmm. that like 60% of it? Yep. Austin Eckler basically has to be what he was last year, which was 107 catches, right? And like mm -hmm. he had 18 touchdowns, not exactly what it was, but pretty close to it. Like that's it's, I was actually surprised and I don't know what else he could do, but I was actually surprised that all it took for him to get back into the mix bill was the opportunity to make $1.75 million more. Mm -hmm. Not even guaranteed. 
you know, not even guaranteed. We've seen players like I think Julio Jones a few years ago, you know, was holding out. He deleted the Falcons from his social media accounts, and then he got some money. You know, yep. he got a couple, uh, some of his money guaranteed from in, in the future to uh, come back and, and and sort of wait to get a deal done the following year. Yeah. And that's not even the case here. Yeah, Jordan Poyer had a similar situation as Eckler last year. We had two million dollars added in incentives to his contract available to make, and I want to say he ended up making like a million of it, Bill. But mm-hmm. uh, I don't, I don't, I need to go back and, and check that. But still, it was a, um, it was a way to appease the player. I'm surprised this was all it took to appease Austin Eckler. That might be more reflective, not of like the lack of like strong negotiating by Eckler's representation, but just the reality that the market had cooled so dramatically. Mm-hmm. So your options were Chargers or Chargers, right? And then you know, I mean, obviously, when you don't have a lot to negotiate off of. That's that's what you do, and it's, yep. you know, it's going to be really fascinating. I, I of course want Austin Eckler to succeed, have a great season, but I'm going to be really interested to see what his market looks like next year if he does have another season like the one we saw in 2022 we haven't seen a a running back of consequence change teams and i say significant consequence meaning like not just the player stature but also the the contract since Le'Veon bell in 2019 so it's been a while since we had a player and i think that what will be interesting will be the potential dichotomy between the lack of trade interest this year for austin eckler and what i think will be a fairly reasonable market um next off season as a free agent. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And and again, like it might not be a five-year deal for a 29-year-old running back, but for a year or two years of guarantees, just have to figure he can be a difference maker for a team that needs a, a playmaker out of the backfield. Uh, and Austin Eckler certainly has been that over the past several seasons. We can talk about what next year's free agent market looks like, Phil, but there's still guys who are on the market this year, yes. still free agents. We're sitting here in the end of May and... Some guys who, frankly, I'm shocked are still free agents where I, and we know they can play. We know that they have been successful recently in the NFL, but they still have, well, some of them have been successful in the NFL recently. We'll get to some guys <laughs> who maybe have not been. I don't want to. Or big names at the very least. Big How about names that? at the very least is probably the professional way to put it. But absolutely. I mean, guys who, you know, can still make a difference in, in the right situation uh, at the pro level. And I want to talk about some of them and where they might fit here in the months to come, assuming they're going to sign somewhere. And let's start with Teddy Bridgewater. We'll start with a quarterback and Teddy Bridgewater, a guy who's been beloved pretty much everywhere he's gone last year with the Dolphins, got hurt behind Tua Tango-Vailoa, didn't play all that much. Of course, had to play Skylar Thompson in that playoff game uh, against the Bills, but a little surprised that Teddy Bridgewater, who's been at the very least one of the most qualified backups in the NFL, is sitting here in at the end of May without a opportunity. Yeah, let me throw one caveat out that applies to not just Teddy Bridgewater, but every player we're going to discuss, yeah. Bill, in that they're available and for a reason. Uh, it might be lack of interest. It also might be waiting on the right financial offer. It's 100%. hard for us to know exactly 100%. what they're looking for financially. So um, there may be players that we assign a fit to where people say like, yeah, yeah, I mean, for a million bucks, I'd do it. But for of course. you know the chance to earn $8 million, I would stay as far away as possible. So mm-hmm. um, keep that in mind as we are discussing these players. And I'm always trying to assign a fit based not just off of like what I think makes sense from a football standpoint, but I think has a chance of being realistic as well. Um like the the team would actually consider this. So for Teddy B, I had a couple that came to mind, but I was going to start with Cincinnati. 
And I think if you're looking to sign somebody like Teddy Bridgewater, the thought process is we've got an established veteran quarterback, whether he's very good or a star. There's no threat of a competition for Teddy Bridgewater. But if our quarterback goes down, we have somebody that we can help that can help us stay in the, the mix. Mm-hmm. As of right now, Joe Burrow's backup is Trevor Simeon. If something happened to Joe Burrow, which would be terrible, obviously, Trevor Simeon, I don't think, is capable enough to lead the Bengals to uh, still stay in the playoff mix. Mm -hmm. Teddy Bridgewater would give me some optimism. Of course. Absolutely. No question Teddy Bridgewater could be that guy. I I lean towards a different AFC North team where I look at the Cleveland Browns. Where I like that one. Yeah. You know, where Deshaun Watson, of course, is there and he's going to be the starter. But behind them, it's Josh Dobbs, Dorian Thompson Robinson, who they just drafted in the fifth round this year. Kellen Mond, the former Vikings prospect, Ooh. are there. But, you know, you think about, okay, when you look at these guys where it's sort of marginal, you think, okay, well, well, why would they go here? Why would they go there? And I think about Teddy Bridgewater. Well, he was with Kevin Stefanski in Minnesota. Stefanski was not the quarterback's coach there when Teddy was there, but, you know, Stefanski knows the guy. He's certainly had him in the locker room. Teddy's, Teddy Bridgewater's reputation in the locker room is incredible no matter where he goes. That's not the issue necessarily, but um, that is a situation where, you know, I, I don't want to speculate, but this could be a make or break year for that Browns organization where if Deshaun Watson does struggle again, if he gets hurt, if he's not available, Kevin Stefanski might not be in a situation where he's back in 2024. They changed the defensive coordinator, of course. They've made the move for Watson. This this does feel like a make or break year to me. And so if Deshaun Watson does get hurt, and this is a guy who has two torn ACLs in his past, would you want to have your, you know, your, your, your season, maybe your 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 time as a head coach writing on Josh Dobbs, who is a great guy, a, a really smart guy, but you know, it's not necessarily a guy you want to count on as your guy who's going to take you to the postseason. I, I just think there's an opportunity there for Teddy Bridgewater to be, you know, a player who fits in, a player who, you know, keeps the locker room uh, you know, light, and a player who can win games if put in the right situation. And Bill, uh, the Browns, like I don't think another farting around season this year for the Browns is going to be enough to ensure that everybody returns the following year. Absolutely. Right. Like I think the Kevin Stefanski, I'm not, I'm not a hot seat in May type of guy, right? I am a logical thinker that if you have all these expectations and you fail to meet them in back-to-back years, even if Deshaun Watson was available for just six games last year, mm-hmm. we know how this business works. The first people to come under the microscope for is it time to move on is not the guy who's got another whatever 46 times four is well, i guess three <laughs> 46 million times three that's 138 million guaranteed beyond this year right it's the coach because that's how sports works of course and you know they did fire their defensive coordinator yep. um uh, last offseason so that's out the window not a lot of, they fired Joe Woods not a lot of cap space to work with so they can't just go out and add a bunch of players like like this is it and so again not rooting for anyone to get fired but just saying hey Teddy Bridgewater having some security there if Deshaun Watson does get hurt would make sense to me um they also need a running back behind Nick Chubb as they I do their they sure do. Jerome Ford eight career carries to his name is the backup right now Interesting situation. They still have some work to do here between now and, and the start of the NFL season. Another quarterback who we just saw a report about actually a couple of weeks ago saying he was, or maybe a week ago, saying he's he's practicing, he wants to play this year, is Carson Wentz, where, I mean, again, go back three years, imagine telling an Eagles fan, you know, Carson Wentz is going to be, have gone through two different, three different teams, be a free agent, maybe out of football, 
would have sounded crazy, but here's where we are with Carson Wentz. Is there a place you think makes sense for him? In he should wait. He should I think wait. he should wait, Bill. I think he should wait. And I think he should wait for, again, we don't want to see this happen, but a quarterback injury in training camp or a quarterback competition where it has just totally gone awry during training camp. Because so Teddy Bridgewater, and this may sound personal when I say this, Teddy Bridgewater has proven that he can fit in to a quarterback room as a backup, a clear-cut backup. Yep. Carson Wentz, that has not been the case, right? Now, maybe that's because of his path into the NFL, number two overall pick, et cetera, et cetera. But Carson Wentz is not the kind of guy that if he goes somewhere, I think right now is going to say, yeah, you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm the backup, right? Like, I think he has enough belief that he should be a starter somewhere. I think he should wait because I'm having a hard time finding a room where – that really needs a backup and where Carson would go there and accept that like, yep, I'm definitely it. Like, do I think Carson Wentz is more talented than just as an example, Matt Barkley and Kyle Allen, who are the Bills backup quarterbacks? Mm -hmm. Yes, I do. Even if he's an imperfect player, I think Carson Wentz is more talented than them. I don't think that's the dynamic that he is looking for right now. I would wait. Mm -hmm. And and I mean, you know, like, like we, we only see a certain element of this publicly, but the backup quarterback job is a different job than just being the quarterback who doesn't play. There's a lot to that job that is not just, you know, uh, the, the stuff that we see holding a clipboard on Sunday. No question about it, Bill. And it requires not just, there is a certain temperament required to be a backup quarterback. We have seen guys late in their career, except like, like Chad Henney is a good example. He started a lot of games, right? Like, and had yep. some moments as a starter. Never perfect, right? But, like, started a lot of games. No question. He eventually transitioned to, like, I am the backup and there are no preconceived notions that I'm anything more than that, right? Mm -hmm. I don't I don't think Carson Wentz is there yet. I could be so far off. I, I haven't spoken to somebody close to him suggesting this. I am just using logic that a year ago, a team traded real draft capital and paid him, I think it was $28 million last year, to be their starter. That's what I'm going off. Absolutely. And, and you know, there is a legitimate transition that has to happen there. And Carson Wentz, I, I feel like he's become so maligned that he's now underrated. Like Carson Wentz is not, he's not the guy he was a few years ago. I think obviously, you know, he has to have some self-reflection and say, okay, like, like I've been on three teams in three years and they've all just said, basically we're good and moved yeah. on after that. Like that's, that's the reality you have to face. And you know, but Carson Wentz can still be a contributor. There's still there's so many quarterbacks through NFL history who have been, you know, moved to the bench, who looks like their careers might have been over, and then had a run in their 30s where they were yeah. impactful. They grew up, they improved. They think about guys like Rich Gannon, Kurt Warner, um, even Vinny Testaverde, who we were discussing earlier. You know, yeah, like like some second action for him. Uh, Jeff George, Randall Cunningham, all those years with the Vikings, where they would just bring in a different old quarterback and and they would they would ball out with Randy Moss and Chris Carter. I mean, it it really is a it happens more often than we think. And so I think maybe Geno Smith is the most recent example here uh, with the Seahawks. So you know Carson Wentz's career probably isn't over, and he could still succeed at the NFL level. But like you said, there has to be a transition, and there has to be a spot for him that makes sense. So I think waiting for him does make sense. Um, someone who was talking about possible landing spots earlier in the offseason, and those spots seem to have filled up, is Ezekiel Elliott. Of course, we talk about him plenty on, on our television programming. Zeke it can still be a useful back in the right role, but Field, where do you think 
the best landing spot is for Zeke at this point of his career. Bill, podcasts are at their best when they're spicy, exciting. <laughs> and I think Ezekiel Elliott should go to the Dallas Cowboys. Ah, uh, you know, the, I just the photoshops think, are ready. Yeah, I mean, I know they are ready. And Bill, if you look at their depth chart right now, it's Malik Davis, it's Ronald Jones, it's Deuce Vaughn. Uh, you can say whatever you want about Zeke. Uh, when he was tied to the contract he was tied to, it was too much money. When you yep. just isolate the production, he was totally fine for the Cowboys last year in a role that I think st- still carries value in that offense. Mm-hmm. Minimal big plays. The receiving role has dramatically reduced. But I think this team just needs a guy to finish drives. And I think if you're paying, you know, if you're paying him. Whatever. If you're paying Zeke a couple million bucks, I think it's a totally serviceable amount for a guy that can help wear you down, limit Tony Pollard's touches a little bit, which their former running back coach, Skip Pete, talked about as being sort of an important thing for him. I think it means the most sense, makes the most sense. It does. It does. And and again, like when we talk about players being overrated or underrated, the price does matter. Yep. You know, like, like, Totally. Yeah, I was talking about Carson all... Wentz, right? Carson Wentz yeah. will be more valuable when he's making up to five million dollars a year, as opposed to making twenty-eight million dollars a year. We've all been to Wendy's and gotten the hamburger, and getting a hamburger at Wendy's for twenty-five dollars mm, probably not the best idea. You should probably totally. go somewhere else. Getting a hamburger from Wendy's for a dollar, you feel like maybe you got a good bargain. Yep. I, I, that, that's sort of where I am with Zeke, where. You know, the price tag is going to be more palatable. It's going to make more sense. He's in, again, like this is a good player. This is a guy who can pass protect at a high level. He can run well between the tackles. The advanced metrics like his running between the tackles. He can be a power back near the goal line. So that that skill set is valuable. It's just going to be valuable at a different price than it was uh, over the last couple of years. Yep. Uh, agreed. Let me throw out one more player for you. I'll throw out an edge rusher. Okay. Again, a guy who has bounced around the league, but not because of his his talent, but just because different circumstances have popped up. And that's Yannick Ngakwe, where, of course, it looked like he was going to be a star with the Jags. He's been very consistent in terms of his production. He has eight sacks in each, I believe, of his pro seasons, but he's been on the Vikings. He's been on the Ravens. He's been on the Colts. He's been on the Raiders the past few years. Yeah, five it feels like for him already. It feels like he's settling for another one-year deal this year because of where he is in the offseason. But, Field, where do you think a good landing spot is for Yannick Ngakwe? I will go to a team that I think others might suggest as well, the Philadelphia Eagles. Let's talk about what Ngakwe uh, does they don't, really well. They don't have enough pass rushers. For right, well, well, and he, this is the – and I was if, and it's, people have looked at their roster and said, like, they're fine, right, especially after drafting Nolan Smith to mm-hmm. replace Robert Quinn. Mm-hmm. That might be fair. But at the time of the Robert Quinn trade, I'm not entirely sure that the Eagles were saying to themselves, wow, our people said about the Eagles, their pass rush isn't good enough. They became the first team ever with four players with double-digit sacks, and I hate to fall into the trap that I fall into too often, Bill, which is when you use the last game of the prior season to determine what a team's most critical flaws are. Mm -hmm. That being said, in the biggest game of the year, maybe the field conditions were a part of this. The Eagles' pass rush just simply wasn't good enough. I want waves upon waves upon waves of pass rush depth. And Mm -hmm. Ngakwe is a player that if you're expecting him to set the edge and take on a a wham block from tight end or a fullback, you are wishing for the wrong thing. Mm -hmm. If you're looking for a guy 
that by the end of the year we'll have 10 sacks and probably a couple forced fumbles. And Gakwe is the guy. Put him in a wide nine, let him use those long levers and that good explosiveness and just make splash plays for you. Mm, absolutely. And I think one thing I like about the Eagles typically, and and you know, no one's perfect. They make mistakes like everyone else. But I do feel like when they add players, they add players and let them play to their strengths. And, and I think sometimes you have teams who go out and get a player like Yannick Ngakwe and say, okay, well, we're going to mold him into the player we want him to be. It doesn't work like that, especially when you have a player who's a veteran, who's been around the league, who sort of knows the situations and knows how teams are going to coach him. Like Yannick Ngakwe is a good player when you have him do what he does best. And I feel like that is what we saw the Ravens do, another smart organization. When they went out and traded for Yannick Ngakwe, he was not an every snap player. He was a situational pass rusher and a, a useful situational pass rusher for what they needed that season. I feel like for the Eagles, it, it does make sense. I yes. mean, Howie Roseman has never gone to sleep and woken up and felt happy that he was, he was felt, felt satisfied is the word I should use, that sure. he had enough pass rushers. They are never going to have enough pass rushers in Philadelphia. They can always add more pieces to that puzzle. And the cap might be tough, but hey, I mean, how he's they made it work in the past. They always find a way, Bill. They have pretty <laughs> much kicked the can on every player that they can this year. Like if you look at the guys that have reduced their salary down to a million or so dollars, it's pretty much the entire roster. That being said, like, if they need to find a way, they will find a way because that's what Philadelphia does. They have $12 million in cap space, so they can make it happen, you would figure. And certainly the the skill set is there, the fit is there. Absolutely think Yannick and Gakari would work for the Eagles. The one team I, I will say I felt like might be a fit, a team that do, I think does need a second pass rusher on the edge behind the former the second overall pick from a year ago, the Detroit Lions. Ooh, where... interesting one, yeah. Aiden Hutchinson, of course, had a very promising rookie season. They got surprising production out of James Houston last year. But I just feel like... I don't see Ngakwe as a Dan Campbell-type player. Really? Okay. I, I think it's too much like, you know, Jack Campbell is a good example, right? It's like he wants a guy that is an absolute, like just a glass eater, right? And Ngakwe has a very important skill set. But as we mentioned earlier, like... I don't think you want Ngakwe being responsible for like, if you're playing the Packers and they're just yep. running like, you know, they're just going power after power after power at you. Yep. I, I don't think that's where you want Yannick Ngakwe playing. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. That's why That's why you are here. You are the <laughs> the one who actually knows what people oh, stop. are thinking in the league. Fields, oh, stop, Bill. you know it's a pleasure to have you on. You're, of course, you are all over our coverage, but please just tell the people where they can check you out over the next few weeks. Yeah, well, if you want to find me now, go to NFL Live. Is the wonderful Laura Rutledge is on maternity leave right now, mm -hmm. so I've had the great opportunity to uh, try to keep the show afloat while she is gone every day, 4 p.m. Eastern time. And, Bill, it may be May 24th, but there will always be football to talk about. Yes, of course. Yes, sir. Thank you so much, my friend. Sounds good, Bill. Talk to you soon. All right. Thanks so much to the incomparable Field Yates, the – the sweetest person at ESPN, in addition to being, of course, a really, really, really smart football mind. Love talking to field about anything when it comes to the NFL. Hope you guys enjoyed the conversation. We have more audio coming next week. So thanks for listening to The Bill Barnwell Show. More on the way in the weeks to come.